Um, hope everyone's recovering well from Easter. I know I am. It was a fun time. We had over 100 people here uh, for Easter uh, Sunday service. We had the backlot barbecue. Brisket sandwiches are going off. It was incredible. We had a good, good time. Um, but now it's time to get back to work, right? And that was fun. We did the Arise Sermon Series. Now let's get back to 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be starting chapter 2 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be here in verse 6. I covered verses 1 through 5 back in January when we first started the series, so I don't see a need to go back and recover it. If you missed that Sunday, too bad, so sad. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They're on iTunes. You can go listen to the sermon on iTunes, or I posted it on the Facebook page yesterday. If you want to have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. The scripture should be on the screen behind me. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 10 today, of course, on Facebook as well. The scripture of the day is posted. You can follow along, and while you're there, you can check in and let someone know you're here at Impact City Church. Everyone's ready? Say you're ready. All right, good, because if you would have not said you're ready, it would have been really bad. So over the past few weeks, we have looked at a case-by-case, a verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going verse-by-verse, so we don't skip anything. We're going line-by-line to the book of 1 Corinthians, and there is so much to dissect. I mean, we literally started this series the first Sunday of January, and we're just today starting chapter 2. I mean, chapter 1 took us all of four months to do. And we're just starting chapter 2 today, and it's just you know, chock full of greatness here. But let me just kind of, kind of recount everything we've gone through. Just kind of review everything that's been going on up until this point. The book of 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul back to the church in Corinth. And the letter was not a, hey guys, how are you guys doing type letter. The letter was a rebuke to the church because the church... Was, uh, was being reprimanded by Paul, the starter of that church, for starting to go wayward in the way they first started off. And they started off good. Paul left to go plant a church in Philippi. And then the church got all messed up. It got all jacked up. And they started doing crazy, crazy things. We learned in verse 10 in chapter 1 that there were some divisions within the church. That some of the church members say, hey, we're going to follow Paul. And other ones said, no, we're going to follow Apollos. And the other guy said, no, no, forget Paul, forget Apollos. We want to follow Cephas. And the other guy said, no, we're not going to follow any one of those guys. We're going to follow Jesus Christ and only Jesus. So within the body of the church, there was four different sectors of divisions. Church people say, no, I like the associate pastor. No, I like the lead pastor. Now forget those guys. I want to just follow Jesus. No, forget all those guys. I like the pastor that started the church. And so there was this division within the church, and they were causing all sorts of problems. There was other problems. We learned that the, the city of Corinth was this, 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 this manifest of just different cultures from all over the world. It was a booming city. Think about like San Francisco or Austin. It was a diverse culturally, uh, diverse city within the, 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 uh, the area of Greece. And in that, you get all different cultures, you get all different kinds of beliefs. And so while the church of Corinth started off as a Christian church, very easily other uh, mythologies and other religions started seeping into the doctrines of that church. And this is a rebuke from Paul saying, you can't do that. You guys tracking with me? You guys right there? Everyone's still there? Say, okay, you're good? And so there's some problems here. But despite Paul 
not being there, you would think that with all the urgency, you would think that he would hit this up head on. I mean, chapter one, verse one, you would think he'd be like, hey, you guys got problems. This is what you got to do to fix them. But he doesn't do that. In fact, verses one, two, and then starting up in verse three, Paul covers just the gospel for us. He goes and he talks about, uh, he has a systematic study of salvation as what is what it is and how does salvation work. And what he's doing here is he's trying to bring them back to where they once were. He's trying to refocus their eyes back on Jesus. He's trying to, to get them back to where because they have lost sight of their ministry. They have lost sight of the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ all in a matter of a few years. He's refocusing them back to where they need to be. Now today, Paul is going to be covering a few things with us in light of that refocusing. He's going to be covering, he's going to explain the heart behind the people who live according to the wisdom of the world. Because this is what happened. I mean, Corinth was good. They're focused. They're good. And then all of a sudden, the wisdom of the world creeped in. Everything from around them started to distract them from the wisdom of God. And they started to get unfocused from what they needed to be uh, focused on. He's going to cover the heart behind someone who is focused on the wisdom of the world. Then he's going to explain why it is ridiculous. I mean, downright absurd that a Christian would fall into the same rut as someone who is following the wisdom of the world. He's saying it's ridiculous for us as Christians to even look at the wisdom of the world and say, that looks great. And then finally, he's going to talk about the greatness and the glory of God. And within those three steps, he's going to refocus our minds, and the church in Corinth refocus all of their minds back to what matters most. That's going to be our roadmap today. Now, to start it off, I want to kind of give you guys a little illustration. Um, how many of y'all grew up in the 90s? 90s kids right here? I mean, 90s, I'm thinking 88 through like 01 is like 90s for me. So, so 90s kids right here, awesome, saved by the bell, step by step. I mean, you know, step by step. Day by day. Okay, y'all know that. <laughs> there were some cool things that came out of the 90s, and there's some not-so-cool things, too. I mean, big hairstyles, um, stonewashed jeans, I mean, uh, Nirvana. I mean, I mean, they all came out of the 90s, right? But there was one thing that came out of the 90s that I remember as a kid, and I got a picture of one up here. Y'all remember these things right here? Check this out. Look at this picture that's right here. Boom. I like that. See the emphasis? Y'all remember these 3D images? They were called magic images, right? And, and what you would do is that you would look at these images and just stare at them. And then your eyes would kind of lose focus. And then you would see something 3D pop out there. Like, I think that's a lion. And I'm assuming it's a lion. Oh, someone said yes. Did, can you see it? Wow, you're better than me. I stared at this thing all night last night. I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> I was just making it up. So, like, there's a lion. Fits. So what they would do is they would take these images, right? And I remember being a kid in elementary school, and y'all remember the, the Zootastic uh, book fairies that would come our, our way? I bought a book. It was like that thick, full of these images. And I would sit in my room, and I would literally just stare at this image all day long. And all my friends could see it. At least they told me they could see it. And they'd be like, man, do you see that? that, that it's like a pirate ship. Do you see that? I'm like, I don't see it. Hey, do you see that? That's a bunch of hearts and some stars. I'm like, I don't see it. But I remember one day staring at this book for hours and hours, and one day, I guess my mind was so fried up, and it finally, not, not that I was doing anything bad, but my mind was so messed up that it, it, like, it blurred the image just enough, and I saw it. It was like, 
bam, there it was. It was like a, you know, a Star Wars ship or it was something like that. It was something incredible. These images were, were crazy because some people could see them and some people couldn't. Some people could, could really see what they were looking at. Some people couldn't. It's just like the church in Corinth. Some of them were focused on Christ. and They could see Christ in the craziness of life. But some people had lost their focus and they couldn't see what they were doing. To some of them, Jesus and the whole mission of Christianity seemed so real. I mean, it, they could touch it. They could reach out there. They could see what they wanted them to do. And it made sense to them. But for others, like Scripture said, it was foolishness. It made no sense. It was a mess. If you were to just look at this picture, you would say, that is just a mess. But if you knew what you were looking for, if you could focus your mind, you would see that there was a line in there. There was something awesome in there. Paul is right. You can take that off now because it's going to mess up. Everyone's not even going to listen no more. <laughs> You're not even listening to me. You're like, I don't see the lion. Take it off, Andrew. Uh, Paul... Paul is writing to a group of believers who stopped seeing what they were supposed to see. That's what this letter is addressed to. Maybe they started off good, but eventually the wisdom of the world crept into their lives and they lost sight of what they were supposed to be seeing. And how often do we do the same? We live with the gospel so much in our lives that for some of us, it's become dull. We don't sharpen that blade as often as we should. And it becomes useless to us. And maybe you've grown up in church a long time. And maybe you had a fire for God when you first started, but from now on, it, lately, it just seems as if you're not there. It's not alive anymore. I'm here to tell you, nothing about the church has changed except you. And so, Paul is what, is what Paul is doing. He's refocusing these people back to what matters most. It's easy to look at the church in Corinth and judge them and say, man, well, I know you guys are messed up. Like, I know that I, I can see why the church in Corinth would do this. I mean, they're doing some horrendous sins in their life. And if you look at the chapters, you would just read it. Like, you think you got problems like the church in Corinth had problems. The one thing I've learned is that we all got problems. And we're all subject to, to lose focus on Jesus every once in a while. We're all subject to start to believe the lie that Jesus is not better. We're all subject to losing that. So let's see how Paul addresses it here today. If you have your Bibles again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says this in verse 6. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now stop right there. Why is he saying that? It says, you know, among the mature I am saying, I am talking about wisdom. The reason why he said that because the first chapter, all he did was talk about the foolishness of the gospel. All he did was talk about how foolish it is to some people. And now he's going and, and flipping the coin saying, but there is some wisdom of the gospel. And, and the wisdom of the gospel is imparted to the mature believer. So that's what, that's what that meant. That's, that's why he was saying that. Verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, 
For, they had, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these things, all of those things that we just said, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything even through the depths of God. So the first thing that we see Paul addressing here is the heart of those who follow the wisdom of the world. Look at verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature we impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. The rulers of this age. It seems that this is just a general statement, but there's, there's a general bunch of people he's talking about here. Who is this group of people, the rulers of this age? Well, look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is saying to us that the rulers of the age are the ones who live in the, with the wisdom of the world. That they are the ones who crucified Jesus. Now, what's the connection here? Well, it's basically saying this, that guys like Pontius Pilate, guys like the Sahedrin, guys like the Pharisees, the Jews, even the Romans, that all of these people had a problem. And the problem was Jesus. And the way that they solved their problem was not to confront the problem. The way they solved it was to eliminate the problem. And the reason why it was beneficial for them to eliminate the problem was because selfishly, they would gain something from it. Selfishly, Pilate... To crucify Jesus would make him uh, at peace with the Jews. Selfishly, the Sahedrin and the the Pharisees to crucify Jesus would would mean that they no longer had to deal with Jesus messing up their order of religion. The Jews wanted to crucify Jesus because he was just causing a lot of trouble. The Romans wanted to crucify Jesus because they would maintain order in Jerusalem. This is why they crucified Jesus for selfish reasons. They all had a selfish reason for crucifying Jesus. I like how the Apostle Paul said it. In John 12, 42, you don't have to turn there, just listen to this. John the Apostle says this. It says, nevertheless, nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. For that would not be, for that would not be put out, for they would be put out of the synagogue. So, so, that's the presence there. Like they, they knew Jesus, but they were scared to confess it. Then verse 43 says this, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that came from God. Why did they crucify Jesus? Because they more so were seeking after the glory that comes from man than the glory that came from God. They would much rather be okay with man than be okay with God. They, they'd rather be praised by man and say, hey, we, we settled the Jews out. Hey, we, we took care of all of this. No one's mad at us. Everyone's happy, 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 except for God. But it's okay. I'd rather seek after the glory of man than the glory of God. The word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. The word doxa literally means glory. And it's used dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the scripture. This is the doxa of God the doxa of God. These leaders loved their own glory 
over the glory of God. They rather have their own selfish desires fulfilled than listen to God. So this wisdom of the world that creeps into our lives and causes us to lose focus on Jesus is the same wisdom of the world that makes us crave and desire our own glory, our own fame, our own, you know, what do we get? Our pride. It's what the world does for us. How many of you guys can relate to that? You love the praise of man. You love it when your friends lift you up and praise you. You love it when you do good at work and they put your picture on the wall in the hallway by the restroom. You love that, right? Like, you get that. That is like the praise. Employee of the month, three months in a row. Like, you, like that's what you want. That's the wisdom of the world. And that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. A church that would see Jesus, but not enough to allow Jesus to change their behavior. Like, they knew Jesus. They obviously knew Jesus because they started, a, you know, a church. But it wasn't enough for them to continue to have their lives change all the time. Paul says later in chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about this. He says, but brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. He says to the church in Corinth, hey, you guys are still fleshly. Like, you guys still want to be a part of the world that, that Christ has died to bring you out of. And you're acting like mere men. He's saying, church in Corinth, you're full of pride. You're full of jealousy. You're full of arrogance, and you're full of all of these things that make you separate from what God wants you to be. You're full of it. It's just some of you guys are aligning with other leaders in the church. And that's wrong because you're causing divisions among the family of believers. Some of you guys want to go with the associate pastor. Some of you guys want to go with the church planner. Some of you guys don't want to listen to any human authority and just follow the spiritual guidance of Jesus. And that's wrong because God has appointed leaders in the church to guide you. And you must listen to those leaders of the church. You're causing divisions. Because you guys are acting like mere men. And you're more than mere men in the blood of Christ. You're not just a regular man. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. Why do you act like you do not have it in you? You're seeking out the wisdom of the world, and it's ridiculous. It's plain dumb. And why is it ridiculous? Like again, verse 6. So yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Paul is saying that for those who are living out the wisdom of the world, they are gaining the glory of men, the glory of the world, and it's ridiculous because none of that compares to the glory of God. It's not going to last. It's not eternal. There is no eternal significance in the wisdom of the world. There is no eternal significance in the glory of man. None of it will last forever for you. Let me show you how the wisdom of the world can creep easily into our lives, though. Because we can all be subject to this. How very easily can it creep into our lives and we can lose sight of the glory of God? It happens whenever we start trusting our savings account more than we trust Jesus. 
You might say, oh, man, you know, uh, you're that guy that he's like the squirrel that likes to gather the nuts in the winter. And you just gather and gather and gather. And you know you're going to be okay because you have a lot of money in the savings account. You've gathered a savings, so you know you're good. And if I was to ask you, hey, who do you put your trust in more, money or Jesus? And you say, I trust Jesus. I'm like, then, then why are you hoarding up all your money and not putting it into the mission of God? I'm not saying do not save. I'm just saying do not live as if that is the only thing that's going to save you. Jesus is better. Some of us lose focus whenever we become more dependent on the guidance of a friend or a mentor versus the guidance of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Man, I love Dr. Phil, man. He is so smart again. Did you see how how he talked to that grown girl? Catch me outside. How about that? Like, he is so good. He is wise. But he's not as wise as Jesus. I love my counselor. She, man, she knows me like the back of her hand, like, like Jean, but she's not as wise as Jesus. I love my friends, my mentors. I love them, but they all will fall eventually to sin in one way or another. You will have to forgive them and have grace upon them, and it just proves that they're not as good as Jesus. It happens whenever we live for the praise of our coworkers versus the approval of God. It happens whenever we start to put more trust in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife than we do God. Like, I love Sarah, but I love Jesus more. And she loves me, but she better love Jesus more. And I'm cool, but I'm not that cool. <laughs> you see, money, fame, security, popularity, all of these things are insignificant in light of the glory of God. But for some dumb reason, we tend to to pursue these things so much to the point that we will push Jesus out of the way of our life to get to these things. And I'm not saying don't do these things. These are good things. But don't pursue them so much to where you put Jesus on the back burner and you glorify the pursuit of success and fame and money and all of that stuff like that. See, the mind says that, that you see Jesus, but you'd rather pursue the interest of your own heart first. And that same mindset is the same mindset that Paul said the people who crucified Christ had in them. The same exact mindset. And if that's the same mindset that those people had when they crucified Christ, and if that mindset could live in me, I want nothing to do with it. I want to sacrifice my flesh daily at the foot of the cross for the glory of God so that I can see him one day in glory without saying, hey, I could have pursued you more. But man, I really wanted that house in the gated community and I had to work 60 hours a week to get it. Hey, I could have pursued you more, God. I could have pursued you more. I could have done more for the kingdom of God. But what would my 401k been looking like? Hey, I could have pursued you more, God. I could have done more for you, God, but, man, you know, I needed that new, a new truck. I needed the new car, you know, because the one I had, I mean, like, man, it, it had a dent in the side, and I just, I mean, it was paid off, and I was free to do more with my money for you, God. But, man, have you seen those new, have you seen the new Dodge Ram? Why would you even want a Dodge Ram? No, have you ever seen the new Ford? Why would you want a Ford? Or have you seen these new trucks? I'm not saying don't chase your dreams. I'm saying don't chase your dreams so much that you run past Jesus to get to them. Paul says it's ridiculous to seek out such petty things when we as Christians are co-heirs to the glory of God. I mean, it is literally like 
saying, I'm going to pass on buying the Texas Rangers or the Astros so I can go buy the Robstown High School baseball team. Like, it doesn't compare. Like, I'm going to pass on something great. I'm gonna, I don't want steak. I want hot dogs. Like, like some of y'all are like, yeah, I like my hot dogs. Not when they're like the 69 cent package of hot dogs, but you can have like a rebuy steak. I'm saying that, like the glory of God is so much better than the wisdom of man and the glory of man. So much better. Jesus is better. Paul is refocusing their eyes back on Jesus. They see, they know he's there, but they don't see him right now. They know something's in that picture, but they can't focus enough to see it. And just like us, we can see Jesus and we know he's there, but we will lose sight of him. So what's the remedy? What's the solution to the problem that's within our hearts? The remedy for the wisdom of the world is simply the wisdom of God. You come back to the wisdom of the world with the wisdom and the glory of God. They may ask, what is the wisdom of God? What does this mean? Well, the answer is here in chapter 1. Go back a couple of pages, maybe one page, to verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. It says this, For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. When you look at his life, when you look at his teachings, when you look at the death and the resurrection, the way he walked with others, the way he sacrificed everything for everyone, and the way that he lived and breathed uh, the living word of God, he was a living example of the wisdom of God. And to some of us, it seemed foolish. To some of us, it seemed foolish. But too many times, we get caught up in the things of the world to see that what is really not foolish looks foolish to us. And if you were to just talk to someone and tell them all the things that Jesus did, to someone who is living in the wisdom of the world, Jesus would look crazy. Because Jesus said some crazy things that made absolutely no sense. The wisdom of God sometimes does not make sense to us unless you are called by God and is revealed to you. Look at this. Jesus said some crazy things. He said, to be first, you must be last. Y'all heard that before. Quote Jesus. The meek will inherit the earth. Jesus said that. Your life to live, you first must die. To really live, you first must die. Doesn't make sense to me. You're blessed when you're persecuted. You mean to tell me when I'm having hard days and hard times and I feel like the world's against me, I'm blessed? That doesn't make sense to me. To me, that doesn't seem wise. Then he goes on and he, uh, he starts to kind of uh, assault us in a way. And he says, the human race, the whole human race is sinful and in need of a savior. But that can't be because my grandma's super nice. Like, I, I do nice things for people. How can it be that we're all in need of a savior? He said that only he was righteous. That's kind of stingy. Like, really, Jesus, you're the one true righteous one? He says that the only way to heaven is through him. But what about all those other people that believe different things? How can, it, how can you be the only way? It doesn't make sense to me. Christ said that he is good. 
that he is the, the true image of goodness, that everything else falls short of the glory of God. You mean to tell me, God, that even on my best day, I am still falling short of your glory? Christ said, yes. It doesn't make sense. Christ even said that you don't even deserve life, but yet I still gave it to you. Christ said that through it all, through all your sinfulness and your wickedness, I will still go to the cross to die for you, even though you do not deserve it, even though I am perfect and you are imperfect, even though I am ultimately the one person who does not deserve death, I will still die for you. That does not make sense to me. That is the wisdom of God, though. The wisdom of God sometimes does not make sense. And you've got to admit, to someone who is listening to the wisdom of the world, it sounds like lunacy. But to those who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, inside of them, it is the wisdom of God. It makes complete sense to us. When I hear that Christ died for our sin, it makes complete sense because I know that He loved me above anything else. When I hear that the first may become last, uh, whenever they are last, I know that it makes sense to me because the meek will inherit the earth. It makes sense to me because I know what God, how God is working in that. It makes more sense to me that way. But there's a problem with the wisdom of God, though. There's one problem with the wisdom of God. To see it, you got to look at verse 7. Verse 7 to 10. Back in chapter 2. So, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. So none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things has revealed to us. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The wisdom of God can only be understood and revealed to you if God chooses to reveal it to you through the Spirit of God living inside of you. That's why it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. This is why it is vital. It is so important that you live your life the way Christ is, selfless, loving, sacrificial to others. It's why you live with the understanding of the glory of God in your life. And you do not seek after the wisdom of man. You do this so that others can see God living through you. And hopefully, God will reveal himself to them through your righteous acts, through the way you live, through, through the way you forgive. It was a horrible news story that came on the news uh, this past, and sadly enough, it was on Easter Sunday, about a horrific murder that happened in Ohio. And the family lost their father, their old, old, older father, elderly father. It was a tragic event. But out of tragedy, sometimes comes light. The family of the slain man came on the news and said that Jesus has already forgiven this man, and we forgive him too. The heart of a believer will die to yourself even in the most just depressing moments of your life. 
it's important that you live like that. This is why we preach the way we do as well. We preach the gospel here at Impact City Church. We don't do feel-good messages very often. Because the most thing that you need to feel the best way is to know that Jesus Christ has died for you. You let that sink into the depths of your heart and out of which will spring forth life. We preach the gospel, the good and the bad news of the gospel. The bad news that says you are a sinner in need of grace. And the good news that says that even though you're a sinner in need of grace, God chooses to give you that grace. Don't ever lose sight of that church. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are a sinner in need of grace, but yet God has given it to you. And because God has given it to you, it in return requires that you worship him wholly, that you sacrifice your life for him, that you go to the ends of the world, wherever God is calling you to go, because you have Jesus Christ living in your soul. Whether it's across the hallway of your apartment complex, across the room in your classroom, or across the state, across the city, across the world, you go and you share the gospel and you live a life worthy of the gospel. But many times, though, the wisdom of the world can creep into our life and cause us to be distracted, just like the church in Corinth. And it is in those moments, it is in those moments when you feel as if you do not believe that Jesus will do something in your life, or you do not believe that a certain miracle can happen in your life, or you do not believe that Jesus is better, that you have the right and you have the privilege to go to God and say, Lord, make my heart believe. Help me understand this, Lord. Help me see this. Reveal and, and move the scales away from my eyes. Let me see this. There's a story about this very same moment that happened in Scripture in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. There's a guy whose son is possessed by a demon. And, and, and I'm not going to get all crazy on you. I'm just saying the dude is pretty messed up, right? And so the, the kid's possessed by a demon. And this is what happens. They bring him to Jesus. And in verse 17 of Romans 9, it says this. It says, and someone from the crowd answered him and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Which I don't think is a bad idea. I'm just saying, sometimes kids talk a lot. Okay? And so it says, it makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. To me, that's a temper tantrum, but he keeps going on, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. They were not able to cast out the demon. This whole name it, proclaim it does not work all the time. Jesus is the answer. And then he answered them this. He says, oh, faithless generation." How long am I to be with you? This is Jesus talking. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Like Jesus is like, you know what? I'll just bring him to me. I'll take care of this. Bring him to me. Verse 20 says, and he brought the boy to him. He brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground. And he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has he been like this? Like, how long has this been going on? This is, this is pretty intense stuff here, man. And the father said, from his childhood. So dad's already lived with this for, for a long time. The dad has seen his child just trouble and trouble and trouble and, and sick and sick years after years after years. The father is probably losing all hope, and this is probably his last chance. He's, he knows He's heard of Jesus and the miracles and the miracles of the disciples. 
he goes out of his way to bring the boy to him, which I, I don't think was an easy task. And when we look at the kid, he's foaming at the mouth. Did you put it in a cage or bring it? I don't know. But he brought the kid to Jesus. He says this. He says, how long has he been doing this? And the dad says, from childhood. And then the dad continues and he says, and it has often cast him into fire and into the water to destroy him. He says, the demon's trying to kill my kid, man. As he's convulsing and going through all the problems, he's, he's rolling into fire. He's, he's trying to drown himself. The demon's trying to destroy him. And then the dad says this, but if you can do anything, question God. Like if you're really as good as you say you are, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said this to him, if I can, if I can, he says all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus says, if, if I can, no, no, no. If you believe, all things are possible. If you believe that I am better than this, all things are possible. That's why the disciples couldn't do it. Because they're so kind of fleshly. But I know if you believe, this can happen. And look at what the man said. Because immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I believe... But there's part of me that doesn't believe you can do this. Like, I believe you're awesome, Jesus, and I've seen, I've heard the stories, but there's a little part of me that's been dealing with this trouble for so many years already, and I just don't think there's an opening in, in the clouds of the sky. There's no silver lining behind this storm right now. I don't believe, but please, help me believe. It goes on to say that Jesus healed the boy right then and there. Everything was better. We can pray this too. When your life does not seem like it's going to work out, Lord, make my heart believe, please. Jesus, I believe, but make my, help my unbelief. You might be struggling with something. You might not feel like God can take care of it. Let me tell you, the only person who can take care of it is God. And if you need trouble, if you have trouble believing that, pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The only way to overcome the unbelief that Jesus is not better is praying that Jesus opens your eyes to the truth that Jesus really is better. Jesus is better. Everything. There's a song that we sing here at church. And the band's going to come up. There's a song that we sing here in church and it's sort of our battle cry. It's sort of the song that, it's sort of our anthem here at this church and it's something we've been saying for years and it's, just, it's always been at the forefront of what we do at Impact City Church. I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be bad. But I want to read you some of the lyrics. And I just want you to rest in these lyrics for a while. And as the band plays a song in just a second, I want you guys to kind of let the sink in, the, these lyrics that are coming on. The lyrics say this. It says, In all of my sorrows, Jesus is better and make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than any comfort, 
Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. All souls declaring that Jesus is better, make my heart believe. And our song eternal, that Jesus is better, make my heart believe. Church, whatever it is that you're pursuing in life, I hope you understand that Jesus is better. Whatever goals and, and aspirations you have in life, I hope you have them and I hope you work hard for them. But I hope you never get to the point where you believe the lie that those things in life are better than Jesus. You can have health, you can have wealth, you can have success, you can have all the, all the things that man offers you. And none of it would be better than Jesus. I would rather live a cold, cold, poor life with Jesus in my heart than the richest life, the warmest house, the best, most luxurious things in life, and Jesus not be number one in my life. In those moments where you don't believe that, in those moments where you lose hope, in those moments where you feel as if it is too far gone to become better. Say, Lord, make my heart believe. Lord, make my heart believe that you're better. Make my heart believe that you're better than all of my sorrows. Make my heart believe that you're better than my broken heart. Make my heart believe, Lord, that you are better than anything that can come my way. Make my heart believe, Lord, that no matter what happens in my life, whether I become rich or I become dirt poor, whether I become healthy or whether I die of cancer, Lord, you are better than anything else in this world. Seek the glory of God in our lives, first and foremost, and let us ignore the wisdom of man that tries to create 